Hey everyone, and welcome back to the First Act Podcast. This is part three of Breaking In in the Bay Area with music industry and technology executive Dawson Ludwig. Listen in as we break down his unique path in entertainment, from how Dawson got started in his career, to leading Noise Pop Music Festival, to enhancing the live performance aspect for such incredible acts as Jack White, Dave Chappelle, Hassan Minaj, and so much more. This is an episode you won't want to miss. And now... Hosted by Harry G, this is your one-stop shop for hot talk straight from the top. Whether you're trying to build a job in pop, rock, or any other artsy schlock, here's your top dog with info that can't be bought, it's gotta be sought. So sit back, crack a six-pack, cause we're about to chit-chat and rip facts. It's the First Act Podcast. Let's kind of close out the noise pop stuff that you've been working on. and Because I'm, I'm really curious to know how you ended up going really from intern to then do the Bay, and then managing partner and noise pop. Because that, that's a huge jump for you to do in just like a few years. Yeah. Well, so it, it's really just like right place, right time. Uh, so basically started off noise pop marketing, moved over to do the Bay, and that saw success uh, under me as GM. And I was prepared to just grow that and keep it moving. And then the at the time, the GM of Noise Pop moved on to another gig. So there is an opportunity there. And the partners basically asked like, hey, would you want to take, would you want to become the GM of Noise Pop? So moved over back from Do The Bay, went back to Noise Pop and, you know, had success there for about six years. And... Yeah, it was one of those things where it's just like I was able to deliver and there's a lot of cool opportunities that came up. And I mean, luck was a big part of it. And then in that process, sort of negotiated to a managing partner situation. And, you know, so still have some day-to-day items for Noise Pop, but then moved on to my current role of Yonder, which is director of music and events. Cool. So what does like a general manager do? And then what does a managing partner do for a company like Noise Pop? So a general manager is basically someone who is aware of all the wheels that are turning and making sure they're in sync and very generally moving the ship in the right direction so that it's succeeding. Noise pop is relatively big. I think we had for a, you know, an independent promoter, we had a staff of about like 18 or 20 and you know, it's making sure that the marketing team and the talent buying team are working together. A big part of GM is doing sponsorship sales and working with the sponsorship team. That's where the bulk of the money comes from. So developing those relationships and then managing partner, it's much more strategic. That's less day-to-day and more a conversation um, with the partners about what events are we going to do? Obviously, org charts, where are we going to invest this money? How are we going to cut these resources? Those kind of thing. Okay. So I guess the managing partner role while it's still quite hands-on, it's a little bit more removed. So you do have time to now do another job at the same time as the managing partner of Noise Pop. Yeah. I mean, I have a 30-minute meeting a week for Noise Pop, just getting updates. And, you know, obviously there's some emails in between that, but it's it's hands-off, which is good. Cool. And I guess there's a new general manager now that's sort of stepped into that role. Yes. We fortunately have a rock star GM right now, which is really cool. Great. Yeah. Did you have to train them in? Um, no. I mean, they're pretty like one of those people that just comes and solves problems that you didn't even think were there. And yeah, I mean, there's obviously some degree of getting up to speed, but no. 
they must have been one of those people also when they did internships that they were like trying to think outside the box. Like they're one of the dishwashers. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the dishwashers. <laughs> cool. Who, who's the GM now? Uh, Stacy Horn. Stacy Horn. I don't think yeah. I know her. Yeah, she's great. Cool. All right. So let's talk a little bit about Yonder. What is the role of tech in our lives and what made you want to work at a company like Yonder? Yeah. So very simply, what made me want to work at Yonder was I had a conversion experience. I was talking with a friend and knew that they were hiring and was sort of intrigued by it, but I'd never been to a phone-free show before. And then I went to Jack White at Bill Graham here in San Francisco and I stepped inside and I was just instantly like, oh, I get it. I absolutely understand why this exists and why this is a better show. And from there, I was like, okay, I'm sold. Let's do this. And, you know, left a very cushy job and decided to convert the world into the benefits of a phone free experience. One of the things I noticed when I was at the Jack White show is like, first of all, everyone's more engaged, much more attentive. I would say like when I first walked through, there was like five minutes of the people I was walking in with. There was just an irritability of like, wait, what? I don't get my phone. This sucks. And then it happened with me and it happened with everybody else where just my shoulders started to relax. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to be, it's not going to be that bad. Let's enjoy this. And also one of the big things is that Yonder does is you can step outside of the performance space and unlock your pouch and check your phone. So once you sort of like process that, it really, really opens up the ability to just enjoy yourself. And so one of the things I noticed was the opening band, everyone was more attentive, but then that gap between that turnover from opening band to Jack White was so loud. Like people were just, it felt like they were screaming at each other. And then you realize like, oh, wait, no, it's because people are talking to one another and there's just so many people that it becomes this cacophony of so many voices. They don't have their Instagram to like scroll through and silently like hunker down in the corner. They got to talk to a neighbor. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That is good for the three hours or three and a half hours or whatever they're at this event. It's healthy. When you got me tickets to Hassan Minaj. Yeah. They put my phone in the pouch and everything. And, and I remember you saying, well, you know, if it's an emergency, you could always just tear it open. And I was like playing with it. I was like, oh, maybe I'll rip it open. <laughs> and Because <laughs> like I would have loved to send you a picture of a ripped bag. But <laughs> yeah, but no, you know, I didn't I didn't tear it open. I ended up just kind of having a great conversation with the friend that I brought. And it was a really great experience. Yeah. You know, Hassan was talking about, you know, he poked some jokes specifically at like the pouches and everything. And like, you know, it was like, you know, everyone kind of felt exactly what he was describing. And it was actually really great because I did find people were way more attentive. No one was like, you know, you didn't hear anyone's phones going off. You didn't hear anyone, you know, or you didn't see anybody like taking out their phones to like record anything or take pictures. And it's just like, especially for a comedy event, that would ruin it. Absolutely. A concert's a little different, but I always hated, you know, even if it's like, you know, the encore song at a concert and everyone's like, oh yeah, I really wanted to hear this, you know, the anthem by Good Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and everyone pulls out their phone for that moment. I hate that. I'm like, you're not going to rewatch this. Yeah. And also there's just like the way our founder talks about it is that there's an energy in a room. And when you put up a screen between yourself and the performer, just a little bit of energy escapes the room. And when a whole host of people, like if everyone has their phones out, like you talk to performers, it changes. Mm -hmm. It changes the dynamic in the room for sure. 
Well, yeah, it's it's like I'm sure it's the same as let's say you're an open mic comedian and you see people in the crowd just talking. It's sort of the same experience, you know. I know that we're talking like different scales of talent, mm-hmm. different scales of of performing arts venues, but no, it's the same principle. Yeah, but it's the same principle, right? It's like if you go up and you're going to give a speech and you start seeing people talking, you're just like, hey, right? You know what I mean? But like, you're going to go up and you're going to because these artists put everything into each performance. Yeah. And I think that people forget that it's not just a DJ hitting play, you know, it ruins the authenticity. Absolutely. And it's like, I think the big thing for me is like understanding that watching someone perform is not to overblow it, but like, it's kind of a sacred thing. Like, and there's a certain degree of respect and understanding that what the audience plays in that role if the audience wasn't there, then they would just be rehearsing. The performer would just be rehearsing. It wouldn't be a performance. So if you're going to be there, like you need to be there. Like you can't be half listening, half talking to someone, half writing an email. I think as screen time during COVID has sort of taught everyone, like you can overdo it. We now understand that it's impossible to multitask. We think we can do three things at once, but we really, our brains can't, like we just didn't evolve that way. So it's trying to create some sort of boundaries and limits of like, look, it's not, we're not anti-technology. You can have your phone when you're in any other circumstance, but if you're in a performance hall, mm-hmm. put it away. What, what do you think about sports events? Like, do you think that that's a little bit different because in a sporting event, the talent isn't looking at the crowd as much. They're looking more at performing within their actual sport. I mean, my personal preference would be to not have it. Anything that's like a community oriented event, I feel like a phoneless dinner is better. A phoneless sporting event is better. A phoneless concert is better in my opinion. Like it's one of those things where people are more attentive in general. But I also understand like certain events are structured for social media sharing. User generated content, really. Absolutely. Yeah. And I understand that. Not my preference, but I can get behind it. Yeah. And so how do you see technology, you know, I'd say more overarching, not only to Yonder, but, you know, this is just like an open-ended question. How do you see technology shaping the music industry or entertainment in general? That's a good question. I mean... The optimist in me feels like the more that we invest in sort of a meta experience with putting on your VR goggles and watching a show, the further we go down that road, the the more the pendulum is going to swing backwards in the next decade and be like, let's have a more organic experience. But I think I would say the next 10 years, people are going to get really, really into the idea of technology as an add-on to a performance. And I don't mean like stage or cool shit that you can do with your phone at a festival. Like that's, that's actually cool stuff. But in terms of like having some sort of concert in the metaverse, which I feel like people are going to rush towards that in the next 10 years, that's going to end up being, we see it on Fortnite. I don't know if you, yeah. if you play Fortnite or if you're oh, yeah, the Travis Scott performance. Yeah. My brother tells me about this stuff all the time because I'm not on Fortnite, but he tells me all about, oh, yeah, you know, Travis Scott, this performance or. Oh, yeah. There's been concerts on there. So, like, that's kind of cool. And like, you're right. Metaverse is definitely happening. I have a friend who was working at a company that handles all like the in Metaverse billboards. No way. Yeah. Oh, man. That's a whole market. That's a whole market. 
it's like there's i think you you were probably too young there's a, a movie called lawnmower man about a guy who goes into the vr world and just basically becomes like a monster because like all of his needs are met and it's just realized like and in this way i sound like a luddite but i really do think this is a not a great path for us to go down <laughs> this metaverse path <laughs> oh god i mean it's like wally or the humans who are just sort of like sitting and not engaging with the world but just like experiencing it through like screens like yeah oh i remember when i was a kid that like there were things like um you remember imvu Mm-mm. imvu was like four letters the company was like a big bay area it was just like a technology business where it was like based off like you'd create like an avatar and like have like a you know your own person in like this little virtual world and then there was i think second life was another one where Hmm. it was like you live out your life in like this game it's like people would have like their regular nine to five jobs that go oh yeah and then they come home and they live like a second life literally in like this virtual landscape you know, this was like very early 2000s where these companies started to pop up and they didn't get as much attention as I'd say like they would get now, but they were still quite popular. Yeah. But it was like a minority stake of like the world. But now everyone's like, well, I could just take like a wormhole to go to like Japan and meet up with my friends at like this Starbucks cafe. And, you know, everything is sort of changing and it's it's crazy. And, you know, it's interesting that you called yourself a Luddite in that regard, right? It's because you're working in tech and it's yeah. it still rubs people the wrong way. But you can see that there's like explosive growth in that domain. So yeah, it's another moment sort of like where you were saying where it's like, okay, well, I see live music burgeoning, but I want to work in the record business because that's everything that I grew up knowing. That's what I've always wanted to work in. So now very nice comeback. Harrison. It wow. Yeah. It's that divide again, right? I just realized that. So it's like now it's like there's all this wave of technology that makes us all feel a little unsettled, right? Because yeah. it's like... I grew up also live events and like even thinking about the record business. Like I was reading all about like David Geffen and Michael Ovitz when I was trying to get into the music business. I didn't know Mm -hmm. anybody. But now there's these trends in technology. So I was kind of curious to see whether or not you like it. That's a personal opinion. But what do you see is like the future? Yeah, I would imagine it's going to be similar to to like what you pointed out where I anticipated that live music would blow up and it would stay blown up forever, but was wrong in the fact that like, oh, there's a vulnerability there. I would imagine that there's going to be a lot of VR experiences and metaverse experiences. I think there's going to be a lot of emphasis on it. And then I don't know if something external is going to happen, or I would just imagine that people experience it enough times and they're going to be like, it's like having a trampoline in your backyard. You really can only use it like a dozen (laughs) times. And you're like, well, that's just just fucking jumping up and down. Like, I'm never going to use that again. I always wanted a trampoline in my backyard. (laughs) Yeah, dude. Guess what? If you get a trampoline, you get tired of it real quick. (laughs) You have a trampoline? I did. I did. I wanted it so bad. And then I got it. And I was like, well, this is dumb. That's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) I like that analogy. Yeah. Going back to what you said, though, I, you know, you've kind of framed this in, in two different ways. And I know we're talking a little bit more about tech now. Like you're talking about metaverse and, you know, how there's going to be all these like in tech experiences. Right. Mm-hmm. But then what if you take the out of tech experiences, which is what you were mentioning before, and then the add ons of tech, which is something like Yonder, for instance, or it could be I spoke about this with, uh, do you know, Karen Allen? 
She's like the Twitch. Oh, um, she like knows everything that there is about like live streaming and music. Yes. And she's like the expert in that domain, but Twitch yeah. hasn't yet offered her a job for whatever reason. <laughs> I don't know. She's brilliant. I had her on the podcast and we were talking a little bit and I was like, do you think that there's going to be new roles of like roadies or like, you know, people that are going on the road with the band where there's going to be like live stream experts that are going to focus specifically on the live streaming element of a live performance. Oh, interesting. What did she say? She thinks, yeah. And, you know, it's like, this is a great opportunity for like young kids, like 21, Mm. 22, that are savvy with a camera or with their phone or with editing. And you know what I mean? Like they could be, you can get like that green room experience. You know what I mean? If you just tune into the live stream or that could be part of your VIP ticket sort of thing, like where it's like, that's always like what you can't see. It's behind the closed doors of like in the green room. Like what is the artist doing before the show? What are their snacks that they're eating? Like, you know, what is their routine? Are they busy meditating? Like, what are they doing? And I think that that is something that, I don't know, I've been saying it now for about a year that there's like a lot of opportunity for growth in that domain. There's all of these ideas, like this is just one idea, right? But there's all of these ideas on how you can add on with technology. Yeah. I mean, I remember when in the middle of COVID or lockdown, there was a lot of talk about the hybrid idea of live music of like people who are in attendance, pay a premium ticket to experience it live, but then you can pay like five bucks to stream it. And that's actually kind of a cool model because it opens way more revenue for the artists and also opens the door for people who like, let's say if you live in like Grand Rapids, Michigan, and you want to see tons of concerts, but just can't get to New York city. Like that opens the door for you to experience those things. It's cool in concept. I will say the thing that I saw over the course of lockdown was that everyone was talking about streaming as the new thing. And this is going to be a new like domain. And I think there is a lot of room for growth, but I also just saw a lot of fatigue where people were like, I mean, I personally, like, you know, I bought the Waxahachie live stream set and I loved it. And then I'm like, oh shit, I'm going to watch the glass animals one. And I was like, I started to kind of like, you know, maybe two or three into it. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I don't need to experience. So something I think in the live streaming world needs to change to be able to have some longevity because it worked for a while because that was the only option we had because we couldn't go see live shows. It's better than nothing. Yes. But how is it better than a concert? I think that's the main question. Right. And maybe it doesn't need to be like if you're paying a, you know, $30 ticket to see a concert or a $5 ticket to stream a concert, maybe it doesn't need to have, it doesn't need to equate on that level. But at a certain point, you do need to make sure that you sell enough virtual streams to pay for that live streaming expert who's on tour and their salaries. Right. Because I think that from the live concerts that I've watched online, why would I pay $5 or $10? Whereas like if I could just watch like an acoustic live audio tree or NPR Mm -hmm. on YouTube at my convenience for free. And I actually find that I enjoy those better as a musician. Yeah. You know, like I like to watch those and I'm like, it's a little stripped down set. And then like, I'll bust out my guitar. Like I just ordered an acoustic bass that's coming today. Oh, nice. I kind of want to futz around and play along with like, you know, my favorite bands. So there's like a lot of things here that I don't fully get the live stream side of the business yet, but I think it's interesting. I think it's there. Yeah. They just need to have something a little bit more defining. Right. Um, Complete tangent, but if you are a fan of like Tiny Desk, there is a site 
It's actually a little bit older, but it is amazing. It's called La Blago Tech. Are you familiar with that? No, spell it. Oh, good Lord. So it's French, L-A, and then new word, B-L-O-G-O-T-E-Q-U-E, something like that. Anyway, it is a, they pioneered in the early 2000s, this like idea of what's called a takeaway show, which became a million different spinoffs, but they were the ones that pioneered it. And they would basically have like a camera and like follow like Justin Vernon from Bon Iver, like playing in some, some hallway in a chateau in France and, or Beirut walking down the street, playing his ukulele in Paris. And you just have hundreds and hundreds of amazing acts sort of playing their music in these weird spots. And then sort of documented by like a handheld camera and it's, you could spend hours and hours getting lost in that. That's cool. Yeah. I'm going to check that out. And for anybody who's listening, I think that's a really cool thing to check out. If you want a different type of intimate experience with an artist that you like. Yeah. I would highly recommend there's a great arcade fire. They play one of their neon Bible songs inside of an elevator and the drum beat instead of them having a drum because it's all acoustic is him actually ripping paper so like the downbeat instead of it being a snare it was them yeah it's so cool that's cool yeah i like that 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 reminds me of um what was that band that had that like that one massive hit and then just vanished somebody that i used to know oh gautier gautier yeah Yeah. you know their video where they're all just like playing on one guitar yeah yeah that was a great video it was just like super cool. And then like they vanished. I know. Anyhow. Kimbra, the woman that sings in there, she's still kicking around. Yeah. Well, for, for sure. You know, you can't have like a super band like that just like completely just vanish off the face of the planet. Oh, yeah. I remember that band was scheduled to play a 500 cap room in San Francisco. And it was like six months out. And then that song broke. And then that 500 cap turned into a 1500 cap room. They upgraded it. And then it went to a 2000 cap room. And then by the time the show happened, it was at Bill Graham, which is 8,000 cap. Wow. The ticket price is so much higher, I'm sure. Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) That's crazy. You know, I think Halsey also had explosive success like that, too. I remember um, at Webster Hall, we had booked her in like a 400 cap. And then when we brought her back, though, it wasn't the same show. It's like overnight. Was that Chainsmokers? Yeah. Post chain smokers. Yeah. It was like with her explosive success with chain smokers. And then, yeah, she had sold so many more tickets. You get that with an artist. And like a lot of people think it's overnight success, but it's really just years in the making, right? Oh, yeah. I think Gautier, that was like his second album, third album. Mm-hmm. All right, man. Dawson, thank you so much for sharing your story. And Dude, this is fun. Also, you know, the random tangents are fun. That's why I like to start it off with these quirky questions. You know, what's your sign? And, you know, what was your very first job like? <laughs> now I know that you worked in construction. Yeah, well, worked is a generous term, but yeah. <laughs> hey, everyone. Just wanted to check back in and shout all of you out who are taking the time to check out the podcast, especially those of you who have been sharing it with your friends and writing me such nice messages on Apple Podcasts, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you or someone you know has an awesome story that you think should be shared with the world, feel free to write me directly on any of our socials at The First Act Podcast. Until then, stay safe.